Welcome to the Remote Work Drive podcast with your host, Jessica Malnick. Stay tuned to learn how to manage remote teams that are effective, collaborative, and happy. Hey, I'm Andy Cabasso, and I'm the co-founder of Postaga, uh, which is an all-in-one tool for doing cold email outreach. Awesome. Can you tell me about the most exciting things you're working on right now at Postaga? Um, most exciting things that I'm working on? Well, um, it's been, uh, we're a couple of years in, in the business now, and we're kind of in growth mode, and so we've been building our team. We're adding, working on new features and things like that. Every kind of day feels very different. Um, but there are some new things that we're working on that I'm excited about in terms of, uh, I don't know if this is exciting to anybody else, but basically uh, databases and more information to help people doing cold outreach to basically give them better sense of, if I reach out to this person, what's the likelihood they respond? Uh, what can I expect? And so we've, you know, our platform has been doing cold outreach for a while and we are getting a lot of data on interactions people are having with uh, different people. And so giving people those tools and that information are going to help them be more successful. Awesome. That's like a super specific idea of like building cold out, cold email outreach software. How did you stumble into that niche and what's the kind of the backstory of how you started the company? So I used to be, I started an agency years ago doing digital marketing for lawyers and uh, within three years I had started, grew, and then uh, sold that agency to a larger company in our niche that we were going after. And kind of from the experience I had with my agency, uh, I was realizing that like we wanted to be able to do cold outreach for ourselves and for our clients in a scalable way to help us build links and increase our search rankings. But it was a, there was a very manual labor intensive process that required a lot of different tools, tools for prospecting, uh, tools for uh, scouring LinkedIn to find the right people and tools for finding email addresses and tools for building and sending email sequences that are personalized for these contacts. And so we built Postaga as an all-in-one tool to do all of that in one place. Awesome. Um, and I know you'd mentioned kind of offhand that you have grown the team pretty substantially in the last year or two. Um, can you tell me, talk a little bit about some of the, you know, how you kind of, what, what your team structure looks like and how you kind of lead the team? Yeah. So I guess from a year ago, it was, there were two of us uh, and a few contractors, and now we're a team of uh it's, I think it's nine, nine people full-time and then a few contractors as well. And so, yeah, we, we've grown a ton. And part of the challenges that we had were the fact that we're a completely remote and distributed team. I'm in New York. My co-founder is in Boston. And we've always worked together like this uh, remotely. Uh, but as we like brought on more full-time people based in, in different time zones all around the world, uh, Asia, Europe, uh, some, uh, South America, and other parts of the states as well, uh, we need to really figure out the best way that we could build this business and grow it, and but also keep a well-running, functioning company, given, all, given the time zone disparities and uh, everything like that. 
Totally. I have several questions, follow-on questions related to what you said there. Um, you'd mentioned obviously going from two people to I think you said nine or ten mm-hmm. um, in a like short period of time in less than a year. How did you? I mean, that's a that's like quadrupling your size of your team. Granted, still kind of a small team, but that's a pretty big challenge. How did you make sure that like your team vision and goals and mission and like culture, you know, impact were impacted for the better instead of kind of devolving? when you grow that fast. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm sure it is probably a, a, a more real challenge if you're like a startup that just gets millions of dollars in funding and is like, okay, we're going from 20 to a hundred people in a very short period of time. So I, I don't know that this is anywhere near as exciting, but um, yeah, that was definitely something that we had to really figure out in terms of like, we, as we're growing, we want to keep the same culture Um uh, I guess whatever culture it was that me and my co-founder had, but keep our, our vision and everything on track. And part of it kind of stemmed from, I guess, making it work right was my experience uh, previously running and growing an agency. And one thing that I really learned early on was that as I was bringing on new team members and trying to replace things that I was doing with, with ha- having them do it, uh, was documentation was probably the single most important thing, documentation and processes. So creating SOPs, uh, standard operating procedures, so that everyone could, anyone jumping into this role could know what the expectations are of them, what, how to do the work. And uh, beyond that, I think as we built our team that was you know distributed with people all around the world, uh, I've used like Loom and Cloud App a lot to, not just not just me having like virtual trains with people, but because the time zones are different and everything, uh, I create like a lot of video content and uh, to kind of walk them through the role, but also uh, have make it clear what what our culture is here and what the expectations are. And so, whenever any new member of our we have a new member of the team that's onboarding, uh, at this point we have a few things that we have. So first, when they're onboarding, we have in onboarding academy basically it's a it's an online course that's only internally facing and so we have a few different sections uh, some that are general and broad that are geared towards here here's the team here's who you'll be working with uh here are policies and processes generally speaking like here's how we use slack here's how we use our project management software and here's how we keep track uh or timekeeping for like vacation time off and requests and stuff like that and then Beyond that, I've got training sections for specific roles um, because I was also finding that uh, as the as the person like in charge uh, of of onboarding people and training people, I was doing the same thing a lot over and over again. And so, uh, time that that I was spending repeating the same training could have been spent uh, working with individ- working with these individuals. Uh, to talk about more more things that were relevant to them specifically, questions that they had, rather than me just trying to repeat the same, like me spending my time with them going over the same things. That's super smart. And actually the first person who I've heard say, like, I've actually built out a course for my new employees to kind of take um, in their role. I have a couple of mm. questions, like, what yeah. do you kind of use to host the course? Um, mm. And two, how long does it take a new employee to go through it? Sure. So um, it's 
been so it's been an iterative process um and it this kind of thing always is like uh as you're building out like new response or as, as you're like building things out you're like all right well here's something i've forgotten or here's a common question that i'm getting from people and so i need to create more content geared towards that um and some colleagues of mine i know they'll use they'll just use like knowledge or they'll use something like notion that's a popular one people like you will use notion as an internal knowledge base for that's entirely team facing and here's everything that you need to know and that's fine like that works they'll use notion with with like loom which will use to record videos or they'll record videos on vimeo or youtube and make them private and just internal facing but i uh a while ago i got a lifetime deal on AppSumo for this software called acadle uh a-c-a-d-l-e which is like an e-learning platform and so uh i used it to basically build a build like an online course for onboarding for team members um, there are things that I like about it. There are things that I don't like about it, but it, importantly, it works and my team can use it um, and can also importantly refer back to it later, which is a big one. Um, one thing that I kind of like about like Notion or other like more knowledge-based sort of platforms is they're easy to jump into and refer back to and have like cross-references uh, if you need more information that you're trying to, you know, figure out for yourself. Whereas the e-learning platform doesn't really, I find, have that as much. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and kind of going into the meats of this um, course that you created for your for your team, what can, can you kind of maybe walk through some of the different modules that you have or different like pillars or chapters in there and like what that evolution looks like? So if you're a new hire, you know, what's mm -hmm. the first thing you're taking to the last one? And yeah. Yeah, let me pull this up. So, um, so there are actually like a few courses that, that I've created at this point. I have one course that is general for everyone. It's a new team member orientation. And I feel like, a, I mean, a lot of the content for it came from what was originally like a team handbook um, uh, or another guide that I had created. But I found that this was, this was more interactive and was more kind of engaging, it felt like. And it, like having the ability to embed videos and things like that um, uh, ended up working better and just had a better workflow. And so I've got uh, one item that's, yeah, one course, that's a new team member orientation that's for everybody. And so it goes through some stuff that's more team handbook, like, like here, here's what our policies are for paid holidays and times off and time off and confidentiality and, uh, employee reviews and things like that, as well as like our tools, like, Here's how we use Slack and email and our, our own software and stuff like that. And that's for everybody, no matter their role. And then I've got uh, other courses that are specific to different roles. So uh, people on our team in like marketing roles uh, have, uh, have certain courses geared towards them as well. And basically if I like, and if I'm training someone new for a role that I think I will be needing to hire more than one person for in the future, in the long term, what I'll do is we'll have like a training one-on-one -on -one in like Zoom and I will record it and I will keep that video for the future. And I'll use this video as a training video for any new hires. So this way I don't need to record the same thing over and over again. Uh, we've already like covered it this one time. And so I can just refer back to that. That's a super smart way to go about that. I'm in creating all that content without 
putting an extra burden on yourself. Right. Um, a follow-on question to that mm. is how long does it take for a new hire to be fully mm. ramped and proficient in the role? Right. I guess it, de- it depends on the role, I'd say. It depends on like what the responsibilities are. Um, I like the first person I hired, I'd say like it, it probably took, I feel like two months for everyone to feel great and really, really acclimated. Um, and I feel like at this point, it's probably half that. So I would say like about a month that, uh, everything is kind of moving along pretty well and like expectations and understanding of, of the role, uh, is there. And there's also not, uh, like it's, save me time it saves them time and yeah i think by this point probably in in large part because of having the onboarding and training and stuff like that there's not a lot not there's nowhere near as much back and forth of like slack messages of questions of how do i do this or how do i do this uh i've got this knowledge base and it's all built out and every time i get a question that's a like a common question or i'm seeing it's repeating I'll create a Loom video or, or a cloud app or anything like that. And I'll add another module. Uh, so I have uh, content ready to go for it. Um, and then sometimes, uh, like as I get more questions, I'll make changes to our project management software. So like we use ClickUp, for example, and uh, I've got processes for different roles. And at, as, as like we get new questions or new feedback, we may need to change up some of our processes and but it's, and it's constantly evolving. Absolutely. Would you say that you're kind of in charge of all of the updates right now, or do you have some people on your team who are maybe adding and updating content as well? Um, I'd say that uh, right now, right now I am the person who is doing all of the training related content, but I'm, we're at this, we actually are at this point now where I'm like handing off the reins to uh, another team member where, yeah, we're, we're at that point. And you know, um, I'm nervous and excited at the same time to, to hand this off. And uh, I, yeah, I think it's going to go well. That's exciting. Um, and it just sounds like given how you've created these mini courses that your mm-hmm. team is very much and company is very much async first um, and like kind mm-hmm. of maybe anti-meeting culture. I don't know if you guys are necessarily <laughs> anti-meeting culture or more just asynchronous. Can you maybe talk a little bit about your yeah. approach to when you defer to async versus when it might be appropriate to be on a Zoom call or chat live? So I generally try and like minimize calls. I I personally just don't love jumping on a, a Zoom call or a Slack call uh, for what ultimately I feel like could be a very quick exchange. Um, I, um, I, I'm mind also, but I'm also mindful of people's different work styles and preferences, but we also have very different time zones. And I, I have some people on the team who are based in Asia and their time zone is 10 or 12 hours different from mine. And so I might be in bed while they have a, a question and then I can get to it like the the next morning and so uh for certain teams uh i have i'll have like a weekly standing zoom call which is at a time that is inconvenient for me but convenient for them um and like i'll have like we'll have like a one once a week checking call basically and then as other as any other questions or issues pop up slack is really our go-to and uh i'm happy that 
that Slack recently, relatively recently added threading, uh, which has been huge for that and keeping conversations kind of contained. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's really been helpful. Um, I, yeah. And just in my experience, uh, I know that some, like, yeah, some people have preferences and will say, Hey, can we get on a, a, a zoom call? I just need five or 10 minutes of your time. Uh, my first reaction will be to say, can you type in a Slack message? Like what, what is the question? Where are you stuck? And then I can respond directly to that. And so also I feel like we're there's more clear what is understood and what the next steps are. If there are, if there's this written communication and notes from it, as opposed to just talking it out uh, over zoom or yeah. Slack calls or anything. Absolutely. Um, you'd mentioned something like really interesting there and like mm. kind of like really almost coaching your team to like mm. think and like write things down in Slack or share a Loom video instead of mm. getting on calls. Um, yeah. And I know that not every single person, especially in office workers and mm. new remote workers and not even every remote worker is used mm. to communicating so much asynchronously. Are there things that you look for when you're hiring new team members to see like, hey, they're going to be the type of person who's going to be a good fit here. They're not going to necessarily want to have a culture where they're on, you know, 10 Zoom calls a day. Um, I don't, I guess I've, I think, I guess I've been, actually, I, I'm thinking about that. What's, what, what's my right answer to this? But um, actually, I just thought of like how it ends up working out. So, uh, for really most, actually for most every role that I've hired for, I don't hire people full-time right away. Uh, and this is something that I've done with everyone from content writers to junior marketing roles and, um, graphics people and things like that. What I do is for whatever the role is, I'll create a, a test project effectively. And I, like whatever uh, rate it is that they're looking for or we're agreeing upon, like this is going to be the salary, I'll pay them an hourly wage for doing this initial project. And I give them the project. It has very like specific parameters to it. Like let's say if it's for uh, a new blog writer, I will give them a, a, a specific project that I've already, I've also given to other people in the past, but I know what it is that I'm looking for from the final product. And from this test project, I can see how they work and they can see how, uh, what my expectations are and we can see if we're a good fit. And this saves us ultimately a lot of time where if it's not a good fit, I haven't already gone to this place of hiring them and onboarding them and going through our courses and materials and everything like that. And for us to work together for potentially a month or two and for us to realize it's not a good fit and have to let them go. And that, cause that, that sucks. And I, I hate that. And so, yeah, ever for every role now, I have an initial project that I pay them for, and it gives me the opportunity to see what, what it's like working with them. And they get to see what it's like working with me and we can go from there. And there are definitely a few people who I've given these projects to where it just, it didn't work out. Like it, it wasn't a good fit. And in the long run, that saved it ultimately saved us a lot of time because if they looked great on paper and they interviewed well, uh, I might have otherwise been like ready to jump and hire them. Yeah, that's a really, really, really smart approach. And I think something that's becoming increasingly common for remote world roles is as task projects. Can you mm -hmm. maybe walk me through how you think about what makes a good task project, how long it should take somebody, what do you mm -hmm. kind of look for, how are you kind of evaluating them in that test project? Yeah. So for a test project, typically I like my 
I'm shooting for it to be around like five hours or so. And yeah, if I'm like, if I'm paying someone for it, either like if it's like a, a writer, like if I'm paying them based on word count um, or if I'm paying them hourly or anything like that, I'm like willing to pay potentially a couple of hundred dollars for this test project to see how it goes. Now, I, I'm viewing, viewing it as an investment. Um, I'd rather spend a hundred or two hundred dollars uh, for a test for a test project with this candidate to find out that it's not going to work, rather than have them on salary and working for a month before I'm. Uh, we're like after we like we've tried to make it work and it's just not a good fit. So um, typically, I my, I'm shooting for like a five hour project. I'll try and keep the parameters pretty closed for the most part in that I. I have here, like I'm asking for these specific deliverables. Here is what I want. Here's the process. Um, some of it will be me trying to understand if this person can follow directions. So I have some specific elements to it, but I also feel like I'm, I also leave some things open-ended or nebulous because I want to see what their analytical thinking is like, uh, what their thought process is. And also are they going to reach out to me if they're stuck on something, um, which I like. I appreciate when someone's going to reach out and say like, hey, I'm not sure what this means. Here's what I think it could mean. Here are some ideas that I have. Uh, and so like that gives me uh, better insights into what their thought process is. Um, I've, yeah, I've tried variants on projects where it's very closed scope, where I basically give instruction, 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 and here's the deliverable that I'm looking for. And that I can get someone who does great work there, but on the other hand, doesn't uh, like when facing a situation with uncertainty uh, may not make the decision that I, I would want them to make. And so uh, having something at least nebulous or undefined in the project uh, is helpful also. I'm guessing that's particularly helpful. And I don't necessarily know like a supporter a marketing or even like a sales role where you do need to be thinking on your feet a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Um, you mentioned something prior to this where you were kind of talking about having a very distributed team, people in mm. the US, obviously you're in the US, people in Asia, I don't know if you have people in Europe. Um, mm. How do you, and given that you're asynchronous, what are some of the ways that you kind of build collaborate, um, build like a team culture and build camaraderie across mm. your team and get people kind of communicating with each other? when there are, you know, in some cases, very little overlap in working hours. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I, it's definitely also a work in progress. It's gonna be a constantly a work in progress. Um, and people have different styles. They're just like at any office, there's some people who are very much check in, do your work, check out, and they do great work. And there are other people who, you know, are office cooler, uh, water cooler chat type people. And so, we, so like, we'll, we have, uh, you know, channels in our Slack that, uh, we're using for team communication. Um, and some, and so some people will hang out in certain channels and because it's all, because it's Slack, it's all asynchronous. People can show up or be in these more social channels as much or as little as they want. It's really up to them. Um, I'm still working on, I feel like more team building collaborative stuff uh, in Slack because, and just overall, because we don't have too many, uh, over like entire team meetings. Um, and given that we've 
uh, grown a bit in the last year, I I feel like I, I'm I still need to figure out the best way to do that. Uh, I, I've tried to arrange some calls that like a, a team wide call, but given the real wide disparity of uh, time zones, uh, it like I I would need to be on at like 6 a.m. my time um, for it to work for relatively most everybody else. And so having everything be live, live uh, wouldn't really be possible. But uh, yeah, one thing I like asynchronous tools like Slack for communication or videos in cloud app uh, or uh, Loom uh, ends up uh, being good. Um, totally makes sense. Have you experimented with or tried any of kind of the Slack um, kind of workplace communication tools like Hey Taco or things like that, that allow people to kind of like small little things that are like, you know, water cooler conversations? So I've been in, I'm, I've been in some Slack uh, channels and uh, or Slack groups that do have a, a more social aspect to them. So uh we're in the the tiny seed startup accelerator program and uh they have like a weekly trivia thing um uh, they have uh some channels that are more recreational here people here people sharing their latest cooking endeavors or here's people uh yeah share here's our pets and children and and things like that and I feel like I need to get on that a, a bit more to to do more to really foster a uh, more collaborative culture, and that like that um, is it's constantly going to be a work in progress here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, shifting gears a little bit, I know mm. you'd mentioned like this isn't your first kind of business that you founded. Before this, mm. you ran a really successful agency. Mm. Um, what were some of the mindset shifts of going from a service business? that is like an agency to now having a SaaS company that's growing really quickly. So <laughs> I think a lot of agency founders look at SaaS and say, oh, well, if I could have a SaaS business, uh, so SaaS, like service businesses, there's a lot of labor costs involved. It's very hands-on and you're getting you know paid for your work. And agencies look at SaaS and think, oh, wow, someone can sign up for my software and pay for the software and they won't speak to me and I'll just increase our MRR and we'll bring in more revenue and I can, I can really scale it with a very small team or, or by myself. And to some degree, that can be true. Uh, there are certainly very profitable SaaS businesses that have high margins and low headcounts, but uh, for many SaaS businesses, there is still a lot of overhead for things like customer success and customer support, especially if you're, you have enterprise clients. They, a lot of enterprise clients need hand-holding and onboarding. And I think uh, when I was shifting from agency to SaaS, I probably thought there would be, it would be, there'd be a lot less customer interaction and support and, than there ended up being. Um, there's definitely uh, a, a lot of customer questions that we get and that's fine. That's part of, part of what it is. But I think uh, I had some expectations or hopes uh, that just turned out not to be true. And that tends to be something that I've heard from other agency turned SaaS founders as well. 
Well, if you don't mind me asking, what were some of the, the things that you thought were going to be true that ended up being completely false? Um, I guess one thing is I didn't really fully appreciate the extent of customer success and support. Um, yeah, we get we get regular inquiries every day from customers uh, asking. Yeah, just with just regular run-of-the-mill support questions, asking how how to get set up, or asking for advice or feedback and things like that. And so uh, we now regularly do uh, customer uh, demos. Customer like uh, we do like a weekly office hours call with with our existing customers to give them feedback or give them advice on their specific uh, questions that they have. And so um, I guess I I underestimated the extent, uh, the role that uh, customer success and support would, would play. Um, yeah, just probably that's, that's probably the one thing I, I definitely underestimated. Yeah. Um, and if you don't mind me asking, mm. um, how do you structure kind of customer support and success today? Mm. So, uh, so customer support and customer success. Um, one thing we, we do a few things i guess first we have email ticket support that comes in we use help scout for our support uh support desk um and we also use another service called uh, chat leo for live chat um one thing that i like is they both can integrate pretty well with slack uh which i live in constantly so whenever we get a new live chat uh to support whether um and whoever is able to take it will, from Slack, respond to the chat inquiry and basically have a conversation in their own Slack, which will uh, respond to them as they're on live chat on the site or in-app or anything like that, which saves us from having to live in yet another app, like having to yeah, live in a help desk ticket or help desk software and having to live in a live chat software or uh, anything like that, or 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 have another app on your phone for live chat. And so, uh, having stuff that integrated with Slack was really the most important for us. Um, we had looked at other live chat and help desk things, um, and like I looked at Intercom for example, and I just didn't love how it how it interplayed with Slack, and I didn't want to be having me or other team members having to live in an intercom dashboard every day, constantly as just another tab to have open. Um, and the flexibility that like Chatlio and our help desk platform have had uh, work that work for us, uh, rather than having to make us work within their confines has been much better. And I'm guessing that also helps with some of the staffing constraints that come with having live chat support and particularly can be challenging when you are a smaller company. Absolutely. And so with like live chat, um, if, uh, well, so I'm, um, so I have uh, me and another person who do live chat. Um, I'm on this podcast now I've turned my Slack off. Uh, if, my, if our other support person is not available, they'll turn themselves off and it'll, the live chat will notify people. We are not here right now. Please leave a message and it'll go to our help desk, uh, email ticket and you'll get a reply via that. And uh, when, as soon as I log back into my Slack, it, it'll pop up in live chat as we're available. So people aren't waiting around uh, for people potentially. And I know that like intercom is probably the example that I'm, I'm 
going to pick on and use because it's probably the most popular for a lot of SaaS businesses. Um, you can type a message into to live chat and intercom and you may either be waiting around for a while or it might, or it'll say like, all right, thanks for filling out this. Either someone will get back to you in the next minute or two, or you'll get an email tomorrow or something like that. And yeah, I just don't love that experience. Uh, this is going to go off topic, but I'm always a little surprised by how many people still use Intercom and why there hasn't been someone who's really kind of taken the market share away from them a little bit more, given how many complaints and concerns. I personally use Intercom as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so many constraints from pricing to how its functionality is. It's like, it kind of blows my mind that there isn't a live chat person, software <laughs> out there that has still won't know that market share. It, well, it really, they lock you in kind of the same way I think that Hub, HubSpot does it, where they've got a really attractive introductory tier for the first year. Like I, I think Intercom is like Intercom and HubSpot are both like 90% off for the first year. And then after that first year, well, HubSpot, like it ratchets down. Uh, but for Intercom, it's like 90% off for the first year. And then starting day one of year two, your subscription cost is going to go from 25 or $40 a month to hundreds of dollars a month that you're not ready to pay for. And the switching cost is just too high. And that's that's the challenging thing is if you've already used Intercom and gotten used to it or HubSpot and you've built out your automations and sequences, like uh, we use Active Campaign for our email marketing and marketing automation. I have a hundred probably different email sequences that happen based on certain user behaviors and things like that. And HubSpot, you can do the same thing. If I were to want to switch from Active Campaign to something else, it's going to not just be the cost savings of a couple hundred dollars, but it's also going to be the time investment that I have to remap everything out. Um, move all the data, really recreate the automations, which is going to be the most time-consuming thing. And Intercom and HubSpot can really get get you with that, where it's like, okay, well, it's going from fifty to five hundred dollars a month. That's unfortunate, but at this point, for me to change to something else, maybe it'll go from. Maybe I'll, I would I should be spending two hundred dollars a month or one hundred dollars a month instead of five hundred dollars a month, but I just can't afford the time to move everything over. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, and also kind of stigmatizes the fact of like, oh, having a sticky product means that yeah. maybe you shouldn't be taking advantage of customers in the way that um, Intercom kind of does, but. Yeah, it does kind of speak to the fact of like, you know, if you can get embedded into your company's workflow that much, yeah, that, that cost of, you know, even if it is goes up 10x, when you think about your time and your team's time to actually switch, it does make a huge difference. And just kind of shifting gears, I always like to kind of ask a couple of lightning round questions. All right. Um, if you were to win $10 million tomorrow, what would you spend it on? Tomorrow. Um, let's say I'll buy a boat. Um I will do I I'll buy a boat I'll 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 buy a house in a in Hawaii let's say and I will spend more time in nicer weather it is currently in the 20s here Fahrenheit in New York 
and we our heat went out twice last week, um, which uh, yeah, we uh, it got really cold in here for a little bit on two different days, but that's all fixed now. And so I'm personally feeling a little bit over this uh, cold weather here. So that's really influencing right now my my answer. Yeah, that's a uh, glad to hear your heat's back on. That's no fun. I've definitely been in a power outage before <laughs> where there's no heat and that sucks. Yeah. What, if you could have coffee with any historical figure, who would you choose and why? Um, oh gosh. Do we both speak the same language? Doesn't matter. Well, if I, if I, if I pick Jesus Christ, just cause I want to see what Jesus Christ is all about. If, if Jesus is speaking Aramaic and I don't speak Aramaic, that's a problem in terms of logistically, or now am I just overthinking this? You're asking me a very uh, interesting question and here I am ruining it for you. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have a good answer. Let's, let's pick Jesus just cause I'm, I'm, I'm curious. Maybe overthinking it, but that's actually a really interesting answer. Um, and kind of another question I had is, what's one book that you recommend all founders should read in order to become better leaders? Um, to become better leaders. Um, one book I recommend is Traction uh, by Gino Wickman. Um, in particular, I don't know that it's, it's, uh, it, it, so it, so Traction is an entrepreneurship operating system for a business. Um, if, if, if anyone's not familiar with it, basically it gives you guidance and building blocks on how to really structure your growing business, uh, metrics and KPIs to be mindful of. And as, as you're growing, uh, and honestly, as like running a business as like a solo founder as, or as part of a small team, there are a lot of distractions day to day but having an operating system in place for your business to be mindful of, to be like, all right, so here are our most important numbers. Here's what really matters. Here, is, here are our top projects for the quarter that we need to get done to keep going on our upward trajectory. Uh, it, that's probably the most, like, the most impactful book I've found. Um, like uh, I haven't really personally read any books that I'm like super excited about in terms of like culture and leadership and things like that. I've been recommended uh, books like Leaders Eat Last or something like that, I think is the title of it. Uh, haven't read it yet, but it's on the list. But I can say for building a, a business that you want to grow uh, and focusing on the right things, um, uh, traction has definitely been helpful for me. You're like the third or fourth person that I've interviewed <laughs> on this podcast who's mentioned that book. Awesome. Um, and it's been really great right. chatting with you, Andy. Where can listeners find you online? I'm pretty easy to find on the internet. Um, there aren't any other Andy Cabasos out there, uh, but I'm on Twitter at Andy Cabasso, on LinkedIn as Andrew Cabasso. Um, my company I mentioned before is Postaga. That's P-O-S-T-A-G-A.com. And if you're listening to this podcast and you want to try out our, our cold outreach software uh, using the coupon code podcast50, that'll get you 50% off for three months. And last thing to plug is I also have a Facebook group called Grow Together SEO, which is all about outreach, digital marketing, and SEO. Awesome. It's been really great chatting with you. Yeah. Thanks, Jessica. This has been fun. 
Thank you for listening to the Remote Work Drive podcast. Please visit our site, theremoteworkdrive.com, to learn more about remote work trends and insights.